Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jerry Trupiano. This is On the Record with Jerry Trupiano. We are at episode 427 right now on the network. Before we introduce our great guest today, the hall, hall, another Hall of Famer by Jerry bringing on, just want to thank our audience, 65,000 subscribers. We're getting close to that number. We appreciate your support. We want you in, to enjoy our newest sponsor, Jaw Bats. It's going to be the newest baseball bat certified by Major League Baseball. Our very own Jeff Fry got his first fantasy baseball hit down at fantasy camp with the Red Sox this past week, a double to left. And then my son Tanner's been using it, uh, lefty and righty, loves the M110 model. So use RVG at checkout and get yourself a huge discount, not just on the bats, but any of their apparel. Also want to thank our audience for supporting us. Uh, we are now up for baseball podcast of the year for sports podcast group and the Webbies. I did not make up that name. It's called the Webbies. And then uh, also to our newest marketing partner, Millions. Uh, they're handling all of our sponsorship opportunities right now. So we'll give the contact information for them in the show notes. And with that, Jerry, turning it over to you. Thank you, Dave. And I, I, I'm thrilled to have one of the most decorated sports writers in the country with us, Peter King, now with NBC, longtime NFL writer, writes uh, for NBC, uh, Football Morning in America. You've probably read him over the years when he was with Sports Illustrated for, what, almost 30 years, Monday morning quarterback. He's authored five books. He's a three-time National Sports Writer of the Year award winner. Peter King, I'm thrilled that you're with us today. Thanks for the time, and you have a busy weekend coming up, don't you? Well, thanks for the invitation, Jerry. Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend, and uh, it's been a fun year. The good thing about the NFL this year in so many ways is that you can't really count on anything. Everything just seems to be up for grabs, I think, so far in the playoffs. You've seen that it's been sort of um, a situation where you nothing would shock you. You know, Houston over Cleveland didn't shock you. Um, you know, and a bunch there have been a bunch of really, really close games, good games, and I think we're going to see the same thing in the last three games of the season. Yeah, there were some interesting matchups this weekend. You got Kansas City, who's been there. You got Baltimore, who seems to be everybody's favorite. Great story in Detroit, and and the Forty ers were expected to be there, weren't they? Yeah, the 49ers were expected to be there, but the key thing about the 49ers, and I've been saying it all year long, that I want to know who's going to be playing when the 49ers get to the postseason because 49ers are not the 49ers if Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey are either hobbled or one or two or three of them are missing they went on in their real bad spell this year, three consecutive losses uh, in week six, seven, and eight when they had a bunch of injuries. So I think they're relatively healthy now. Debo Samuel will be not fully healthy, but he's been practicing well this week, and it looks like he's going to be all right. So I, I like San Francisco in that game, but not overwhelmingly. Sometimes you just look at a team, it's sort of, you know, I'm reminded because I'm a big Red Sox fan and I'm reminded in baseball, who gets hot at the end of the year? Who who on God's green earth thought the Diamondbacks were going to be gold entering the postseason? I'm sure everybody thought they were just going to lose in Milwaukee and that'd be it. You know, congratulations on a wonderful year. But sometimes... 
you get on a wave and that wave just doesn't stop. You saw it with the Giants when they beat the Patriots a couple of times. They got hot in the postseason. And you see it all the time in baseball, football, every sport, where the hot team at the end of the year oftentimes makes it. And you say, how did that happen? Well, momentum's a thing. Playing well is a thing. Being hot is a thing. Carry over from one week to the next is a thing. So I think you see a lot of that in the NFL. As a longtime Red Sox fan, you've probably heard the words associated with being a fan, long-suffering Red Sox fan. And I'm looking at long-suffering Detroit Lions fans. And and the Lions, now we're talking about the, the people with the organization, the players, the coaches, the front office. They're not happy just being there. They think they have a chance to do something big this year. Well, Dan Campbell said to him, their coach said to him about maybe three weeks ago, you know, don't let anybody convince you that, oh man, we took a big step this year. We're going to be good for a long time. He said, the heck with that. No one knows in the course of any postseason what's going to happen. And and he brought up the thing about the hot team. So we're not building to 2024. We are in position right now, today, at this moment, to win the Super Bowl. So don't let anybody tell you that, you know, we're building and this is a great step. Uh, He said, I just never have bought that, and I think he's right. Those of us who have been around sports, we know about scouting and we know about the measurements and and, and sticking to football, the the, the 40 time and and technique and what have you. But the attitude that, that Campbell has brought to Detroit, you can't underestimate that. Well, when when they beat the Rams, I covered that game, Jerry, and afterwards I spent, I don't know, six or eight minutes with Campbell. You know, it's it gets harder as the playoffs go along to uh to you know, sort of buttonhole a guy who you know pretty well, but you know, there's 40 of me, you know, after a game. But but I so I, I spent some time with Campbell and I, I basically asked him if he regretted or he had any second thoughts about that incredible speech when he got introduced as the coach of the team that he basically said, we're going to bite your kneecaps off. Um, and, and he said, listen, the thing about this franchise, it had been down for so long that sometimes you have to make the kind of bravado statement that gets everybody's attention because I never wanted to come in here and have it be, well, hey, I'm your new coach. We're going to work hard, blah, 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 blah. He said, I wanted to grab people by the throats, you know, and I, I wanted to make sure that they knew, hey, listen, this is an urgent situation. You haven't won here you never won a Super Bowl and you haven't won big here in a long time. And we have to change everything. We got to change the culture. And I think part of that has really been, has really resonated with his players because Jerry there, this team has the most starters of anybody in the, from the third round and beyond left in the playoffs. And I think that's a key to their success. I mean, I don't want to be Joe cliche here, but they got a bunch of junkyard dogs on their team and who people didn't think were going to be that good. 
And they've basically collectively said, we'll show you. When, when we talk about attitude, and you're, 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 talking about, <laughs> you're talking about the Detroit Lions. I'm thinking of the Cleveland Browns, if they had some of that in them. They had, a, they, had, they had that year that you're talking about where, oh, okay, we made big strides this year, but they're disappointed in how it ended. I think you know, it's kind of funny. I think when you look at the three teams that uh, I might call sort of the Great Lakes franchises buffalo cleveland detroit okay buffalo never won a super bowl uh these cleveland browns never won a super bowl the detroit lions never won a super bowl and i think that a lot of times as campbell said you do have to take people by the scruff of the neck and tell them that we're not going to accept what has been happening here, even no matter how many feathers you ruffle. So I think, I think Cleveland, you know, I think the problem with Cleveland at the end of this year, look, they had Joe Flacco on a magic carpet ride for a while, but even in the five games he played very well, he turned it over nine times in those five games. So at Houston, when he threw pick sixes on consecutive possessions, we really shouldn't have been all that surprised. And look, this is still a franchise that desperately needs their $46 million quarterback to, to play like one. He hasn't yet. And so we'll see. They're going to need Deshaun Watson to come up big next year. On the subject of quarterbacks, let's jump back to the 49ers who are involved this weekend with, with the Lions. Are they truly committed to Brock Purdy or is it, does he still have something to prove? Uh, I think they're committed to Brock Purdy. I mean, unless he throws four interceptions this week and and does something really stupid, which he won't do, um, I think Brock Purdy is their quarterback of the future. Maybe not forever, but for now. Um, I think, Jerry, one of the things that Kyle Shanahan likes about Brock Purdy is that he doesn't listen to the people on the outside who say, because you were the 262nd and final pick in the draft in 2022, that means you can't be good. You know, that's nonsense. And for the most part, now he's had a couple of hiccups down the stretch of this season. And if he has a hiccup this week, who knows? He'll certainly raise a lot of eyebrows. But I still think that no matter what happens this week, he will be the Niners quarterback going into 2024. How much? How important was the comeback that late comeback against the Packers? Well, he finished six out of the last seven, and they really needed that badly because they had been outplayed for fifty-five minutes. Clearly, no question about it. But I don't think. I mean, Jerry, this is a guy who started forty-six games in a Power Five conference, and probably two-thirds of the game he en- games he entered as an underdog. You know, he played at Iowa State. He had to go play in front of 100,000 in Austin, Texas, and 90,000 in Norman, Oklahoma, and played Iowa every year. And, and I mean, he, he was, he, he was battle-tested. Uh, that, and, and that's one of the things that you can say about him, that 
these things, uh, I, I mean, I, I covered his first game in the NFL um, when he came off the bench when Garoppolo hurt his foot last December and they beat the Miami Dolphins in Santa Clara. And I remember saying to him afterwards, great game. And I said, your reward now you understand is your first NFL start will come next week against Tom Brady. And he didn't say, oh, he said, hey, that's cool. He's been playing football longer than I've been alive. And, you know, he just, he, he realizes what's important. And, you know, Jerry, what is important is not standing up there quaking at the thought of Brady being on the other sidelines. It's, it's the same way that, you know, you saw with great players over time in baseball. You know, there's a reason why some guys get the hits in the bottom of the eighth inning to win. It's because every at bat's the same and they don't grip the bat tighter when the situation is tougher, you know? And so that's, that's why I think Brock Purdy's going to be fine. What about his counterpart, uh, Jared Goff? I mean, Goff is an interesting story. He grew up in the Bay area, big fan of the 49ers, went to Cal Berkeley. Uh, and so his whole life really is in the Bay area. Now he gets to go home and play a team that he played a lot in his early years in the NFL. He had some success. He also got throttled a couple of times. So, but the one thing about golf that I find very interesting is that he really has this California cool around him that he, and I'm, I know this is going to sound almost, um, you know, disconcerting, but if Jared Goff loses this game, he's going to shrug his shoulders and say, we'll get him next year. Not that he's not going to be hurt by it, but Jared Goff has always figured that no good can come of me gnashing my teeth, beating myself up, and telling, me how telling myself how bad I am. I have confidence in my ability, and if it doesn't work out here, believe me, it'll work out starting next September again. Uh, I think he I think a lot of people don't love that attitude in their quarterbacks in their players but I think there has to be a bit of a self-preservation quality uh when you're an NFL player particularly an NFL quarterback because the attention to this stuff has gotten absolutely totally unequivocally out of control so if you are are on social media or if you're watching ESPN the morning after a game in which you throw a pick six to lose, you're going to think I'm the most worthless person on the planet. And Jared Goff just doesn't allow himself to feel that way. It's like the relief pitcher, the closer in baseball. You want one with a bad memory if they mess up the night before. By the way, his horse. Yeah. His yeah. dad was the backup catcher for the Expos when I was with them. Jerry Goff, right? Yeah, that's wow. right. That's right. Yeah. What, what about uh, what about the <laughs> Other game, Kansas City at Baltimore. You you got most likely the MVP in the league on one side uh, when you're talking about Lamar Jackson, and then you got the guy who may who may be arguably the the face of of the league in in Patrick Mahomes. That that could be or should be a really interesting matchup. I mean, it's going to be a great game. First of all, until the second half of 
the playoff game against Houston, there was really a big question mark around Lamar Jackson playing in the playoffs. It was 10-10 at halftime against Houston. He got sacked twice right at the end of the first half. Things appear to be not good with the Ravens and not good with Lamar Jackson. And at that point in his life, he was 1-3 in as a playoff quarterback, and it averaged just 13 points a game in those four games. So, you know, there was a lot on the line for Lamar Jackson in the second half. Came out, played great. Ravens outscored him 24 to nothing all is well. But again, you come up against Mahomes and Mahomes is such an interesting player because although he will say, uh, I never want to play a playoff game away from Arrowhead. There's something about Mahomes that was, and I was in the locker room after that game against Buffalo and Mahomes was, I can tell you, he was giddy at having won a game against a really good team in a tough environment, really cold, all that. And he loved it. Andy Reid loved it. Their team loved it. And I think they'll go into Baltimore and feel the same way. We've sort of gotten to a point in football, I think, where home field is relatively meaningless because all of these quarterbacks are used to playing with silent snap counts and used to playing with the crowd being so much against them. And, you know, I remember when I first started covering the NFL nationally, Bill Walsh, I did a long story on Walsh and why the 49ers were so good on the road. And one of the things he told me is what's great about playing on the road is it's you against not only 53 guys on the other team, It's you against a city, a state, a region. Everybody is against you. And he said, you should love that environment. It's fantastic. There's no better sound in the world than the sound of silence when you walk out of a visiting stadium having vanquished them. And I think Andy Reid has sort of inculcated that into this Kansas City team now. Certainly, those two quarterbacks can find ways to get things done. They're creative in different ways, and that's that's going to be one of the fun things to watch about this game. I mean, Mahomes might throw a left-handed pass, and certainly Jackson with his running abilities. It's it's going to be fun to watch those two guys. It's so the game in one generation has changed drastically, massively. I mean, if you just think back to even, I don't know. 10 years ago, just think about the best quarterbacks in football. And obviously you start with Brady and Manning Mm -hmm. and, and Brady and Manning were basically stapled to the pocket and, and almost every quarterback now, almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone has uh, some, uh, some major, uh, major mobility pluses Uh, to their games. And so that's why I think the game is really a lot more fun. I mean, this is the 40th year I've covered the NFL. And I think the game is really so much more fun when quarterbacks can have a multiplicity to them, to their games. Um, And that's certainly what you're going to see in Baltimore. Here we are talking about Mahomes and Jackson. And and 
we need to look at both defenses because both were very good at holding the opposition off the scoreboard. <clears throat> well, the general manager of the Ravens, Eric DaCosta, I was texting with him after the game the other day, and and he goes, our defense did not allow a touchdown today, and yet everybody will talk about Lamar. He said, rightfully so, but let's not forget the defense. And think about it. You're coming off a game where the Texans had scored, I think, 45 points, 31 of them on offense against the number one defense in football. And they go into Baltimore and basically they score one field goal in nine offensive possessions. That's it. And of course, they got the uh, punt return for touchdown. But I think both defenses are capable of winning this game. But I think it's going to come down to Isaiah Pacheco. He's run the ball 39 times in two postseason games. And almost, you know, he basically averages half a first down every time you hand it to him. So Baltimore's got to have an answer for Pacheco in this game. Yeah, it's a a passing league. But since you mentioned Pacheco, is is the running back coming back and running back by committee coming back in the NFL and, and the running game maybe maybe getting some inroads the way not the way it used to be but at least more than we've seen in the last few years. I think so, Jerry. But I really think that also depends on who the coach is. I think there are a lot of coaches who are going to have a you know sixty two thirty eight pass run ratio when all is said and done. I forget what the average was in the NFL, maybe about 60-40 or maybe 59-41 this year. But I still think you're going to have more people who want to pass than run. But you see what has happened down the stretch with Kansas City. They realized that they weren't going to have this mature, professional, diverse passing game that Mahomes has always had. And so they've relied on mostly Pacheco, but also Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to basically bring that diversity back to their offense when they really needed it. And luckily, they have a back uh, who can provide that, and that's what they have in Pacheco. Before we take a broader look at at the NFL, uh, earlier you you were leaning towards the 49ers. Who do you like in the Kansas uh, City-Baltimore game? I think... I think I like both one seeds, Jerry, but it's one of those things that I I really think that any of these four teams, I think both games have these elements to them that you can make an absolutely rock solid case for the visiting team winning. But I am going to pick both home teams. Is, Is John Harbaugh underrated? I think so. He's a he's he's really really a steady guy. And having observed him over the years, I remember this was I don't know, 7 or 8 years ago, I remember having a long conversation with him after a game. It was a Steelers Ravens game and it was a knockdown drag out rock fight. And Harbaugh after the game looked like he just woke up from a nap on the beach in Cancun. And I said to him, man, I said, that was a tense game. That was, I, look at you. You look, you look good. I said, 
it will not surprise me if you end up like Chuck Knoll. I said, what do you mean? He said, what do you mean? And I said, coaching this franchise for 20 years will not surprise me at all. Whatever. I forget how many years Noel lasted. It was about 20. But uh, I, I said, you, you will, you are such a cool cucumber. Might've been more, might've been 24. I forget. But I said, you're such a cool cucumber that I could see you doing this because Jerry, as you know, I mean, you watch Terry Francona, the losses ate him up and some of the, some of the weirdness with the Red Sox, with Manny and all that stuff, that stuff just ate him up. But, and I'm not saying Harbaugh doesn't take it seriously. He's an intense person, but it's all second nature to him. He's not, he, it's like, I've always said this about Belichick. You know, one of the reasons that Belichick, even though he may not get a job this year, looks like he won't. One of the reasons why Belichick's been able to do it, and he's done it for 49 years, is because <clears throat> to him, May 11 is the same thing as January 11. You know, he he does nothing bothers him. He doesn't he doesn't you know get fire and brimstone. He may he might yell at a ref or yell at a player or something, but for the most part. He just shrugs his shoulders and say, hey, we're going to do our best and let's let the chips fall where they may. And I think Harbaugh, in a little bit more of an intense way, is a lot like that. I think he'll be around a while. Is brother Jim Harbaugh the answer in uh, the Chargers camp? Well, they're certainly going to give him every option or every uh, opportunity to be that. He'll have the ability to shape that organization every which way he wants the thing you got to be careful about with Jim Harbaugh, what's different with him and John, everybody thinks they're the same guy. Their brothers grew up with the same uh, coaching dad and all that stuff. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh has left a trail in his wake everywhere he's been. And, you know, he coached the 49ers for four years. Three years out of those four, uh, he uh, brought the 49ers to the conference championship game. And yet at the end of the fourth year, he couldn't wait to get out. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. So I think, and I'm not saying that that he's uh, he's toxic or anything like that, but I'm just saying that he's tough to work with. He's, he's highly, highly demanding. And I think we're going to watch in this particular case, we're going to watch and see his ability to handle people and whether it's gotten any better than it was in San Francisco. Am I right? The Seahawks and the Commanders are the only two teams left looking for a head coach? They're the only two left. I think you're going to see, I think the leader in the clubhouse in Washington is Ben Johnson, the Detroit offensive coordinator. And then uh, Seattle is going to have its pick. Now, there's a lot of good coaches out there. There's Mike Vrabel. I don't think they'd hire Belichick, but, you know, there's Mike Vrabel. There's Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens. There's Dan Quinn, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, used to be in Seattle. There's Bob Slowick, the great young offensive mind in Houston who made C.J. Stroud so successful as a rookie. So they, they're going to have a very, very good list to choose from in Seattle after what I believe Washington will do with uh, Ben Johnson. There were some coaches who uh, were, were on the bubble a little bit because of the disappointing way see, the season ended. I think we could put Philadelphia certainly in that column. <laughs> well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think both Philadelphia and Dallas, yeah. there were a lot of people who thought both 
job should flip. But I think the Eagles basically said, hey, look, this guy was our guy a year ago. We had a disastrous year in a lot of ways. Uh, we still have faith in Nick Sirianni to turn it around. So they're going to allow him to hire two coordinators, and he's going to have at least one more year or two to prove he can do it. I think what was especially disconcerting down the stretch is the laconic play of Jalen Hurts. He's got to find a way to get Hurts back to playing high-quality football. Um, and then in Dallas, look, I think it I, – I, you know, I'm the one who advocates a lot for Mike Tomlin keeping his job, even though he hasn't won a playoff game in seven years. Uh, but I, I really thought that Jerry Jones should have made a change, even though it would have made very little sense – sort of in a common sense way because Mike McCarthy had won 12, 12, and 12 games the last three regular seasons. I understand that. I get it. But, man, they have laid a giant egg uh, in the in all three years, the last three years in postseason games against San Francisco at home when they lost track of the clock uh, at the end of the game against San Francisco on the road last year when they were offensively totally toothless. And then this year, obviously, being down 27 nothing after 25 minutes against Green Bay at home uh, and then losing that game in a rout, I, I just thought we've seen this movie before. I don't know how the ending's going to be any different, but Mike McCarthy gets to come back uh, for another year, and we'll see. The disconcerting thing about that game, it really looked like the Cowboys weren't ready to play. Was there ever yes. – was there ever any flirtation with them and Belichick? Well, Jerry, as you know, and, and first of all, I don't know the answer to it, okay? But I have my thoughts. And my thoughts are that I don't believe that Bill Belichick only talked to one out of the seven teams, other than the Patriots, of course, one out of the seven teams that had a coaching opening. I just don't believe it. I know how the league works, and I know there could be a phone call uh, between and and again, I don't I do not know if there was one, but there could be a phone call between either Belichick or a representative of Belichick and Stephen or Jerry Jones to say to find out whether there might be any cause for them to have a conversation. And who knows, maybe there was with another team. I don't know. But uh, I don't think once it got to, I think they made the announcement on Thursday, they were keeping them. I think whatever conversations were held were probably done very quickly and just on the surface because obviously they didn't interview them. Yeah. The uh, the Buffalo Bills got hot late, but in, in their final playoff game against Kansas City, Allen, the quarterback, needed a better support system, and it, it, it wasn't there. Well, I think that Josh Allen is a tremendous football player, and uh, I am uh, – I think he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. I understand that there have been many times when 
they have fallen short at the end. And I totally, absolutely get it. I just simply cannot fall into line with those who disparage Josh Allen for not being a winner because he lost that game. He's played, he's played Patrick Mahomes seven times head to head, beating him three times. And, you know, I, I've said this 48 times this week. I don't think you can blame Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills having a lead with 13 seconds to go a couple of years ago in Kansas City and him walking off the field and watching from the sidelines as uh, the the other, whatever, 52 guys on the team blow that game in the span of 13 seconds. But again, uh, you know, he didn't make every play he could have made at the end. I get that. But I still think he's a top three player in the league. What did you think of the Baker Mayfield story this year? Fantastic. He had everybody against him. You know, he had been on three teams in whatever, 15 months, Cleveland, Carolina, and uh, and the Rams. Nobody wanted him. Got kicked to the curb. He went to Tampa. And, um, you know, look, he's not a perfect player. He He has a lot of issues. But I do think the one thing he has – is a never-say-die quality that all good quarterbacks have. Um, I loved what he did, and I think he's done enough to to earn a new contract in Tampa. I hope he gets one. And what's the future for Russell Wilson, in your opinion? <laughs> oh, I think at some point Denver will probably cut ties with him and move on. Um, I don't think that decision's been made with finality, but I think it would be hard to bring him back. Uh, it's clear that he had some issues with Sean Payton. I don't think Payton hates him. I just think he's not Payton's idea of of a uh, of the guy he wants running his offense. Um, it, it, he's he's not quite as precise and on point uh, in anyway in Payton's eyes uh, as Drew Brees was. But anyway, that's a high bar. Uh, my gut feeling is. They go with Jarrett Stidham, probably bring in one or two other guys to play, and they let Russell Wilson go seek his fortune. We saw a lot of the uh, Miami Dolphins with the hard knocks in season uh, on, on, on HBO. Is that a team on the rise or a team about to slip or a team that's just uh, treading water? I think it really depends on the quarterback. You know, um, no team in the NFL can be great long-term without consistently very good play from the quarterback. <clears throat> Down the stretch of the season, Tua Tagovailoa was not good. And there have to be some reasons for it that go beyond how cold it was that night in Kansas City and, and all that. He didn't play well against Buffalo in the last game at home. So I, I, think, I think this is a really, really important year for Tua and for Mike McDaniel, um, I think they've got to get to the bottom of why he made errors in the biggest moments down the stretch. Let's talk about uh, Peter King for a moment. Uh, we saw this past week <coughs> word come out, and I, I was shocked, 
that the demise of Sports Illustrated. That's, yeah. that's a name that you were associated with for what, almost 30 years? 20, 29 years, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's your feelings? I mean, Jerry, it's not a surprise. They've been careening downhill for several years now. They still have some excellent people there. Obviously, you know Verducci and and Stephanie Epstein, and they they have so many good writers at the magazine. Michael Rosenberg, Greg Bishop, uh, Connor Orr. They, they've got a lot of good people. But the fact is, they have been running on something of a Walmart budget, and they have not been investing in the product. So the days of Sports Illustrated being the thing you run to your mailbox on Thursday to get every week are over. They've been long over uh, for a decade, mostly. And um, I, I just think that in many ways, it mirrors what's happened in society. You know, you and I probably, I still, I live in Brooklyn. I get the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and I read them every day. Now, I don't read them cover to cover. But I get them every day, and I love the feel of a newspaper in my hands. A lot of people have no use for newspapers anymore. A lot of people have no use for magazines anymore. So it's just times have changed. You have to change with them if you're going to be in this business. And I think it's just going to be everybody is, wrote to me this week after I wrote about it in my column I at great length this past Monday in Football Morning in America, and I I wrote a lot about it and everybody said, well, here's the solution. Here's how SI gets back. I said, I mean, nothing's impossible. Okay. But you get, you know, the ship has sailed. We're, we experience news different now. Nobody is going to wait to, I mean, I would have loved to have seen the Sports Illustrated treatment of Kansas City Buffalo with Travis Kelsey on the cover you know, making one of his two touchdown catches I, and, and a great story inside. I would have loved that, but it's over. And I'm we can be sad about it, and I am very sad about it, but there's not really a lot you can do about it other than kind of pine for the days when uh, we would get some really great writing the week after a great weekend in the NFL, and now it just doesn't happen anymore. You, you you mentioned the great articles and 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 the reading that we were able to do and the the lengthy stories. There were also some very iconic covers on Sports Illustrated. Great yeah, photography. I, mean, I asked I asked sixteen uh, people in the business uh, for their favorite covers. I asked asked Peyton Manning for his favorite cover. He picked out a a Larry Bird cover from his junior year at Indiana State. When, you know, Jerry, in those days, in 19, I think, 77, nobody knew what Larry Bird looked like. Indiana State was never on TV. Nobody, even though he was this great prospect, great player, nobody knew him. So seeing him on the cover of the magazine was iconic because everybody said, oh, here's the great Larry Bird. And that is in so many cases. Uh, you know, covers of people introduced America to that person, that major figure in sports. I asked Dan Shaughnessy and some other writers this question. <laughs> since they, they've written books. You've written five books. Do you have a favorite? 
I think my favorite book, I wrote a book my second year in the NFL. Um, it wasn't anything wonderful or any. It was just a pro football history book. It was a history of pro football. I wrote it for Sports Illustrated. What was great was that I got to spend a week in Canton, Ohio, in the archives of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I learned who Sammy Ball was. I learned who Otto Graham was. I learned who Don Hudson was. And it gave me a great appreciation for history that I think that most people who love football don't have. You know, for instance, I always hear people say, well, Jerry Rice, comma, the greatest receiver of all time, comma. Well, wait a second. I mean, you know, you have a guy who played from 1935 to 1945, Don Hudson, who, when he left pro football, was uh, held every receiving record by uh, almost 300%. He had three times as many catches for three times as many yards and three times as many touchdowns when he left the game in 1945. His, his touchdown record, 99 catches, was not surpassed for 44 years. And still, until Steve Largent did it in 1989. What record holds up in modern sports for 44 years? Most of them don't. Um, and, you know, Otto Graham, you know, when we're talking about the great quarterbacks of all time, shouldn't you include in the discussion a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns who played 10 years of professional football, played in a championship game of his league seven or 10 times, won seven, and led the NFL in uh, passing four times. I mean, and yet these guys are never thought of. And so that was a great help to me early in my career, getting to know who these guys really were. Not not going back that far, but I wonder how many football fans today know how great a tight end John Mackey was. Look at some of his yeah. highlights on, on YouTube and some of, the, some of the players, Jim Brown, for example, Earl Campbell, who I was lucky enough to cover in Houston. Yeah, it, it's really funny. I, You know what's funny, Jerry? Uh, in Derrick Henry's last game with the Tennessee Titans, I talked to him after the game, and I said, do you realize today you passed Earl Campbell on the all-time rushing list? And he said his first three words were, oh, my Lord. Wow. And, and he just said, he said, that is a guy – who, when I first started to get to know about football, I'd watch the old tapes of him, and I said, oh, my God, nobody can tackle him. And I said, a lot of the defensive players say that about you right now. And he just chuckled. But you're right. I think there's a lot of players in history who it would be good if people really knew. Well, a lot of people know an iconic writer by the name of, of Peter King. Peter, I thank you so much for the time. You were very generous with your time. Well, you appreciate it. I hope we can do it again down the road at some point. Sounds great, Jerry. Really enjoyed it. Good, good luck to you and hope to see you down the road. Thank you, Peter King from NBC. So Dave D'Agostino, bring us home. Great. Uh, Peter, thanks so much. Wonderful interview. And Jerry, as always, we always enjoy what you bring our 65,000 subscribers don't forget to vote first for those two awards that we our great podcast hosts have been nominated for. Thank you to Jaw Bats. Wonderful bats. I told you Jeff Fry doubled with his first at bat. Um, RVG at checkout. Make sure you use that so you can get discount on any bats and all their apparel. And with that, 
uh, on the record with Jerry Trupiano, episode 427 in the books.